one of the greatest theologians in church history, uh, was an African man who lived in the 4th and 5th centuries. His name is Augustine of Hippo. Now, he didn't live by hippos or own one as a pet. Um, but Hippo is a city in Algeria on the Mediterranean Sea, and he was a bishop there. Augustine wasn't always a great theologian. He had two huge problems that were holding him back from becoming a Christian. His pride and his lack of self-control. He indulged himself in whatever pleased him. As a young schoolboy, he lacked the self-control to focus on his studies. All he wanted to do was play. He loved to do anything to please and impress his friends. He was also gluttonous at times. And things only got worse as he got older. Around age 16, his love for living without restraint ran absolutely wild. In his famous book, Confessions, he wrote as a Christian looking back on his life, and, uh, and he focused on his teen years uh, uh, for, uh, uh, for one of the parts. He, um, the book is it's written as a prayer to God. And he wrote this. As I became a youth, I longed to be satisfied with worldly things, and I dared to grow wild in a succession of various and shadowy loves. My form wasted away, and I became corrupt in your eyes. Yet I was still pleasing to my own eyes, and eager to please the eyes of men. Augustine goes on to describe the desires that ruled him, saying, The mists of passion steamed up out of the puddly concupiscence of the flesh, and the hot imagination of puberty, and they so obscured and overcast my heart that I was unable to, to distinguish pure affection from unholy desire. Both boiled confusedly within me and dragged my unstable youth down over the cliffs of unchaste desires and plunged me into a gulf of infamy. Fool that I was, I foamed in my wickedness as the sea and, forsaking you, followed the rush of my own tide and burst out of all your bounds. Where was I? And how far was I exiled from the delights of your house in that sixteenth year of the age of my flesh, when the madness of lust held full sway in me? Augustine yielded to his desires and lived a life of sexual immorality and pride. He would lie to his friends about doing even worse things than what he actually did so that, uh, so that they would praise him even more. He began to steal, not because he needed anything, but just for the pleasure of stealing. He said, I did not desire to enjoy what I stole, but only the theft and the sin itself. Augustine was ruled by his passions and lusts, and he loved it. In his late teen years and into his 20s, he continued to live by his passions, taking a mistress for himself. He began to seek fame and selfish ambition. He said he was conquered by the desire for gain. He didn't conquer his desires. He was conquered by his desires. Before he put his faith in Christ, Augustine lived kind of like King Solomon did. 
Solomon says in Ecclesiastes 2.10, Whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure. Many in our American culture today would have little to no problem with how Augustine was living. But we live in a, in a you know, do-what-you-feel culture today. The culture is preaching a sermon. It's, it's preaching that your desires, whatever they are, are, are natural and, and good, and, and they define who you are. You are what you desire, what you love. You shouldn't be ashamed of what you, ashamed of what you desire, and you shouldn't restrain your desires. As long as you just don't hurt anyone. Satisfy your desires. Achieve the goals you want. Be who you want to be. Don't let anyone tell you that you can't be who you want to be, that you can't have what you want to have, that you can't do what you want to do, that you can't love who you want to love. Be true to yourself. Listen to your heart. Don't be who your parents want to be. Be your own self. This is the sermon that we hear in today's culture. And we hear it from so many different voices, don't we? So today I want to offer a completely different sermon. A message from the Word of God about self-control and self-denial. We'll first consider what self-control is and why we all need it. And then we'll see what the Bible says about why we lack self-control. Third, we'll consider how we can grow in godly self-control. And then finally, we'll consider what uh, self-control looks like in a couple areas. First, let's consider what self-control is. We just read some passages uh, from Paul's letter to Titus. And there he speaks to the qualifications of elders and how older men, older women, young women, young men, how they are all to live. And he urges all ages to have self-control. Now he could have mentioned a, a lot of different ways that he wanted them to live, but he specifically focused on self-control elders and men and women of all ages. We talk a lot about other virtues like love and humility, and generosity, kindness. Uh, but the more I study self-control, the more I think that we, we don't value self-control in the Christian life as much as we should. Self-control has significant benefits for our Christian life. Jesus says to his disciples in Matthew 16, 24, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up this cross, and follow me. Self-denial is one expression of self-control. We are to take up our crosses and follow Christ no matter the cost. John Calvin saw this self-denial as the essential starting point in following Christ. He saw great benefits in the Christian life to living with self-denial. He said, once self-denial has occupied the heart, it crowds out the evils of pride, arrogance, and pretentiousness, as well as greed, lust, gluttony, cowardice, and everything else that is born of self-love. On the other hand, where self-denial does not reign, the worst vices thrive shamelessly. Rightly, it has been said, there is a world of vices hidden in the soul of man. You won't find any proper remedy to such vices other than to deny yourself. Calvin's spot on here in at least two ways. 
Uh, first, he's, he's right that self-control protects us from other evils. I think you may have been drawing from Proverbs 25, verse 28, uh, the first proverb that we read. A man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. The Hebrew literally says here, a man who has no restraint for his spirit. A man with no restraint for his spirit. Self-restraint is, is like a wall protecting us from all kinds of, of evil, uh, suffering, uh, conflict, punishment. This is a wall that we must have. Let the wise be building, building it up day by day, reinforcing it day by day. Helmut was also spot on that our hearts are a hidden world of vices. We all have our vices, don't we? Our sinful pleasures that we just have a hard time resisting. We all have times when we, we do things without thinking. We, when we have desire without knowledge. We overindulge ourselves. We want one more of something, and then another, and then another, and another. We often let words tumble out of our mouths when we're angry or afraid or upset or, or we're just trying to impress them. We often act on impulse without remembering our convictions, commitments, goals, purpose, our identity in Christ. From having a, a, a second or third helping, to getting the last word in an argument, to sharing the latest gospel, to buying one more pair of shoes, to, to doom scrolling on the internet, to mindlessly watching short videos, short videos, short videos, to putting yourself in a sexually compromising situation online or with your boyfriend or girlfriend, to procrastinating your homework, procrastinating a, a work a, a work project, to uh, just you know, automatically pulling out your cell phone you know, at any moment that you have, uh, that's at any kind of moment. To being just too busy to pray. To beating yourself up in your mind every time you do something wrong. Letting your mind wander during the sermon. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm guilty of that. I am guilty of that. Okay, so the, the list can, just can go on and on. We all lack the self-control that God requires of us. And kids. Uh, kids here. Kids. Self-control isn't, it's not just for the adults and the teenagers, right? It's for you guys too. When you push others aside to be first in line, when you make fun of somebody else, when you throw a fit and, and yell because your parents said no to you, when you hit or scratch your brother or sister because you're mad at them, when you when you lie instead of telling the truth, these are all situations where you need the Holy Spirit. You need God's help to give you self-control. So we all need self-control, no matter our age. So what is self-control? How can we best define it and describe it? Self-control is the ability to rule our spirit in our thoughts, words, actions. 
Ed Welch, uh, in an article in the Journal of Biblical Counseling, uh, it's titled, Self-Control, the Battle Against One More. He describes self-control in this way. Self-control means living within boundaries. Living within boundaries. Self-control is the act of setting up moral standards as boundaries in our lives for how we are committing ourselves to live. The Bible uses other words that are similar to self-control. We are called to be sober-minded. To deny ourselves. To abstain from sin. And to discipline our bodies. Those are just a couple of, a few other ways that the Bible speaks about self-control. Now why do we lack self-control? Why are we all in a fight against our own desires? Why are there none of us who can live 100% consistent with our morals and, and our goals and our, our, our convictions? The Bible says that we are all born into this world as sinners with a heart problem. We've all fallen sin and fallen short of the glory of God. We've all turned our own way away from God, that wayward sheep. Galatians 5 says that we all have a sinful flesh, uh, this corrupt bent in our desires toward rebellion against God and selfish living. It says in verse 17, the desires of the flesh are against the spirit. And then in verses 19 through 21 it says, now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. This isn't even, that's a lot of us, but that's not even a comprehensive list of the works of our flesh. But we see uh, from this list, there's all sorts of things uh, that, that are against the will of God, things that are beyond the boundaries for how we are to live. Uh, things that we do when we lose our tempers, uh, when we lose our inhibitions, when we become intoxicated, when we give ourselves over to just doing whatever we feel like. Paul warns us that those who live according to the flesh do not walk by self control empowered by the Holy Spirit. They will not inherit the kingdom of God. Heaven is not theirs, but rather the place of eternal torment. It's hell. So why do we lack self-control? Because we're, we are born sinners with sinful desires. We are born rebels. Not only do we lack self-control because we are fallen sinners, but we also lack self-control because we are sufferers. Our bodies suffer defects, abnormalities, weaknesses, pain, fatigue, and diseases, all, all, all things that can contribute to a lack of self-control. Our brains are no less resistant to the effects of the fall of Adam and Eve. We can suffer from mental health problems such as ADHD, OCD, bipolar.
bipolar, schizophrenia, anxiety, depression, PTSD, traumatic brain injuries, all things that we, we can't we can't merely reduce them to just physical abnormalities in our brains, but that is a significant aspect of those disorders. We can also suffer from past trauma, which can greatly influence our self-control when we're triggered by certain things. Fear can make us do a lot of, a lot of things that we don't want to do. Eating certain foods and taking certain substances can lower our inhibitions, uh, intoxicate us, or mess with our emotions and desires. So we're not, we're not only born as sinners with sinful desires that drive us, we are also sufferers who have fallen bodies and brains, and that increases the difficulty of having self-control. Having fallen bodies and fallen desires are not excuses for lacking self-control. But we must understand our whole selves if we are to fight for self-control and have a holistic battle plan against our vices. We need renewal of our hearts and bodies and minds. Where, where did this renewal come from? From our own self-efforts? We just got to be good enough? Just grit our, grit our teeth? Just give it all we got? No. We need renewal to come from God. Second Timothy 1, 6-7 says, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Spirit of self-control. Our spirits can be renewed by God to grow in power, love, and self-control, among other things. This, this all comes from the third person of the Trinity, from the Holy Spirit. In Galatians 5, after Paul lists the works of the flesh, he then contrasts it with the fruits of the Spirit. For the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. The Holy Spirit, when he dwells inside of you, he begins to conform you into the image of Jesus Christ. It's not instant, but he begins that work. Jesus was filled with love, joy, peace, and all, all the fruits of the Spirit uh, listed here and elsewhere in Scripture. The Holy Spirit is the source and power for you to have self-control and to deny yourself the pleasures of sin and to accept the pains and discomforts of following Christ. So, in order to have godly self-control, we need to have the Holy Spirit. But in order to have the Holy Spirit, we must have faith in Jesus Augustine was in love with his sinful pleasures. But as the years went on, he knew they could not satisfy him. He grew in discontentment. But he also could not give up his wild living. He didn't have the power to do it, and he didn't have the will to do it. But one day, that all changed. When Augustine was 31 years old, 
He was absolutely distraught over his life. As he sat under a fig tree, just weeping his eyes out, he heard a young child singing a song. Pick it up, read it. Pick it up, read it. Kind of an odd song, he thought. But he took that as, this, this is from God. And, and he, he took it to be an instruction from God, and so he picked up a Bible, he opened it at random, and he read from Romans 13, verses 13 and 14, which says, Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. That was exactly what Augustine needed to hear, needed to read, needed to believe. Augustine wrote, I wanted to read no further, nor did I need to. For instantly, as the sentence ended, there was infused in my heart something like the light of full certainty, and all the gloom of doubt vanished away. Augustine was converted. He put on the Lord Jesus Christ by faith. He turned, by the power of the Holy Spirit, he turned in self-control away from his former way of wild living. He began to rule his own spirit. Augustine found new pleasures, far greater pleasures than God. He wrote, you have saved me from all my most wicked ways till you should become sweet to me beyond all the allurements that I used to follow. Sweet to me beyond all the allurements I used to follow. There is more pleasure in God than in anything that this world has to offer. Psalms David learned this too. Psalm 16:11 says, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Pleasures forevermore. Godly self-control, it, it isn't stoicism, where you just avoid all feelings and emotion. Godly self-control isn't Buddhism, where you deny yourself all desires and pleasures. Instead, godly self-control is resisting the sinful pleasures of the world so that you can fully feast on the pleasures of God. Augustine had found greater pleasures in God, and he also found greater contentment and rest. One of the most famous lines he ever wrote was this. You have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless. They find their rest in you. You have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. We were made for God. You were made for God. But until you rest yourself in the Lord Jesus Christ, you will forever be restless. Trying to content yourself with creation rather than contenting yourself in your creator. This rest in God is what you need to grow in self-control in any area of your life. When you 
are at rest in God, you need not get into your passions and desires. You can content your desires in the greater pleasure of knowing God and being loved by Him. You can rest knowing that you have a Heavenly Father who will He'll take care of you. He'll take care of you when you have to say no to the things that you used to say yes to. You don't, see, you don't have to win every argument. Your Heavenly Father will take care of you. You, you don't need to feel, you don't need to use food to feel good. Your Heavenly Father will take care of you. You don't need to, to, to use drugs or alcohol to, to, to be free or to escape from the pain of this life. Your Heavenly Father will take care of you. You don't need to be so busy that you don't have time to pray or serve other people. The Holy Spirit will, the Holy Spirit will take care of you. God, the Father will take care of you. You can rest. You slow down. You can say no. Once we have put our faith in Jesus Christ, He begins to graciously train us in self-control. You see this in Paul's letter to Titus. After Paul had urged everyone to have self-control, he didn't—he didn't just leave them up to just—to just. Even leaving to their own strength and their own willpower. He wrote this For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us. See the connection there? The grace of God has appeared, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for a blessed hope. The appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Grace trains us. Grace trains us. Our ability to have self-control to say no to our desires comes from the grace of Jesus Christ. He's training us. We aren't perfect yet, but we are in training. We are disciplining our bodies and our minds as we race toward the finish line. Brothers and sisters, pray. Pray for God to give you his free training in self-control. There's no enrollment fee. It's free. Confess to God where you lack self-control. And be honest. Admit, as, as, uh, as Augustine had to do, admit to God the sinful pleasures that you love. Admit that you love them. And ask him for the strength to abstain from the passions of your flesh. It is good to starve ourselves. Start them up. Don't feed them. Your desires will weaken the longer you abstain from gratifying them. And also fight pleasure with pleasure. Fill yourselves with the pleasures and joys and peace and contentment that can only be found in God. And you will find uh, an ever-growing distaste for your former lusts. And also, consider making a very practical plan uh, for how you will have self-control. Something you can put on paper. If you fail to plan, 
You play in the faith, right? Don't just leave the sermon just all pumped up to kill sin. Set up some walls in your life. Some, some barriers that will help you not fall into the same old sins again and again. And think about sharing that plan with, with somebody else that you trust. Let your brothers and sisters share wisdom with you. Things that they've learned. Let them pray with you. Pray for you. And let, let them check in on you. Let them spur you on and encourage you. Remind you of the gospel when you fail. I can use all of these means. Uh, as, as, this, is, this is how God uses, and this is how God trains us by his grace. Oh, look at a couple of the other Proverbs on page 7 of the bulletins. Let's, let's come to them as spirit-filled believers who are being trained by the grace of God. Since Pastor Chris has already preached on Proverbs having to do with words and with anger, I'm going to skip over those. Let's, uh, let's look at Proverbs 26, 16. It's the third on our list. If you have found honey, eat only enough for you, lest you have your fill of it and vomit. So this proverb is about self-control with eating. But I think there's a broader principle of wisdom here that can be applied to a lot of different areas of life, not just eating. Self-control is needed with the intake of pleasure, any type of pleasure. Because the overindulgence of pleasure often results in great displeasure. Not just with food, but other pleasures too. Overeating causes discomfort at, at best and vomiting at worst. If it becomes a habit, it causes weight problems at best and significant health problems and even death at worst. Drinking too much wine or beer leads to intoxication, vomiting, headaches, and an relational fallout of the foolish things you've said at home. In extreme cases, you can die, right? Indulging in the pleasure of staying up too late causes the discomfort of being tired the next day, lacking motivation, feeling lazy, and lacking, self, lacking some self-control over your emotions, right? Indulging in too much entertainment, too much sleep, too much time with friends, these, these things can all have similar negative results. As Christians, we recognize that the pleasures of creation have their limits. As the book of Ecclesiastes says, God has given us pleasures to enjoy in this life, but those pleasures have limits, and they all go away at some we were made for God. So we can never have our fill of Him. We can never become discontent of Him. There are pleasures forevermore in His right hand. So if you have a problem with self-control over food, change your relationship with it. Instead of living to eat, eat to live. You were made to eat. You were made for God. So as you resist overeating or unhealthy eating, remember that God will take care of you. You can rest in Him. And think about some practical barriers you can set up in your life. I've heard it said, out of sight, out of mind, out of mouth. 
We're going to speak it. Last proverb I want to look at is Proverbs 18.9. having to do with work and laziness. Whoever is slack in his work is a brother to him who destroys. Whoever is slack in his work is a brother to him who destroys. Sometimes we procrastinate, right? Sometimes we cut corners. Sometimes we put a little, just a little effort and a little less effort into something just to make it just good enough. Sometimes instead of working, we waste our time doing something else. Uh, a lot of times we do this because we're, we're tired, or we just want we just want to entertain ourselves, we're bored. But this is a very self-serving way to live, isn't it? The proverb here is is, is doing something really profound. It's connecting the dots between laziness and destruction. The work that God has called you today, whether at home, at school, at a job, at a volunteer organization, whatever God, whatever work God has called you to do, it's really important. And if you don't do your work well, other people will suffer because of it. I can guarantee you it. Love for others should fuel your self-control. Self-control isn't just about you becoming a good person. Self-control is also about serving others. For those in the medical field, you, you guys do amazing work. You guys help so many people. What would happen if you cut corners? You didn't do your job well? For some of you, people would literally die. Right? This proverb has for us a lot of wisdom. And for all of us, we all have the Lord's work to do. We are all called to be at work fulfilling the Great Commission. If we're slacking that work, the greatest work that we have been called to, the destruction that comes to others is an eternal destruction. We must not be slack in making disciples. This is our work, brothers and sisters. Let us all do it diligently and faithfully as we wait for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our God, great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. When he returns, he will unite our fully sanctified souls with glorified bodies. We will be fully renewed. And so no longer will any part of us, body or soul, be affected by the fall. Jesus Christ is coming back one day to make all things and we will enter in his pleasures. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. That it is a sure guide for us. It is a light to our path. It shines a bright light into the confusing darkness of our own hearts, our desires. We ask, Heavenly Father, that you would pour out our Holy Spirit, that we'd be filled with your Holy Spirit, and that he would bear within us the fruit of self-control, that we might love other people really well, that we might also honor you with how we live. Lord, I, I pray that, our, that we would grow in our strength to abstain from, from, from sin, to say no, to think before we act, 
Lord, we, we need your help in this. We pray this all in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior.